Welcome back to Chit Talk, where we talk about really good shit. My name is Annika. And my name is Rithu. Follow us on our socials, here to Chit Talk and Instagram for sneak previews, audio clips, and more. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. Let's dive in. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Chit Talk with your hosts, Rithu and Annika. We have another really exciting guest speaker on our show this week, Johan Kalilian, who is here with us today to chat about personal development, leadership, public speaking, and his career working with businesses like Warner Brothers and TEDx. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. We're so thrilled to have you on our platform and engaging with our listeners. So yeah, thank you so much. It's good to be here. I'm ready to talk some chit. Let's do it. Awesome. <laughs> so How are you doing today? Yeah. How am I doing today? Yeah. You know, I don't know if you guys have talked about this already, but that question doesn't mean what it used to be, mm-hmm. right? It's like, how are you doing today can take you in so many different directions in this world of COVID. Uh, well, so in LA, we just received news yesterday that we're doing another shutdown. Really? Yeah. So they're wow. doing a rewind of like, okay, now we're back to everything's being shut down. And mm-hmm. they, they had done like a, a soft opening and we were able to go to restaurants and things like that. And even like get your hair done. And that's now shut down again. Oh, which no. is, but I'm heading to Chicago on, on Friday. I'm originally from Chicago, so I'm going okay. back home. So I'll be gone for three weeks. Hopefully they can get their you know life back together over here in LA by the time I come back. Yeah. What's it, what's it like in Chicago at the moment? Is it any different from LA? Yeah. Well, things are open. So I mm-hmm. am going back to Chicago to, to do a camp and it's a camp that I've been doing for the last, this will be the 13th year actually, which, wow. which means I'm old. It's true. I'm, I'm a very old dude. <laughs> um, and I've, you know, I've been serving at this camp for 13 years and this is the first year was pushed back as well as now we're going to have face masks and be doing the whole social distancing thing. Very cool. And what what does this camp entail? What do you do? Are you hosting um, coachings there or are you going to be public speaking? Yeah, so I'll be doing some speaking. I'm one of the like primary counselors. It's called CANDU. So it stands for Children's Awareness of Nutrition, Diabetes and Obesity. And for those of your listeners that don't know, in inner city environments, uh, there's a lot of health issues with with kids, especially. So I'm Puerto Rican and Persian. In, mm-hmm. in the Latino world, there's a lot of diabetes, a lot of obesity. So what we do is we help kids with learning new habits, with, whether that be eating habits, exercise habits, and overall healthy choices. That's incredible. Yeah, because I love the kids. <laughs> you know, I didn't even know that's why you were going to Chicago. I just thought you were going home to see your family. <laughs> like <laughs> It's both. And well, that's been the cool thing is since I've been in LA, this is my 11th year. So it's mm-hmm. been really cool because... I get to go back home, be with my family and work in my community with kids that I love. A big part of why I do what I do in terms of speaking and leadership um, and coaching uh, is because I never really had that type of leader growing up. I was always hungry for like mentorship and and who can kind of teach me what it means to be a man or even like what does it mean to be a wise person uh, and a leader. So when I was a senior in college, um, I started speaking in classrooms and then that paved the way for bigger things. And I can get into that now or later in terms of like the, my overarching story and how I mm-hmm. got into uh, traveling as a speaker too. But the main thing was I wanted to fill a slot in my community that I felt was a void, a big void. Um, and so now that's why I, I refuse to stay away from Chicago. I go back 
at least four or five times a year in the normal world. COVID world this year, actually, this will be my first time. Um, yeah, since 2020 started. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's incredible. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, this is the longest I've been in LA without since March, because usually I'm traveling at least three or four times a month speaking mm -hmm. and, and working all over the nation. Yeah, it's a whole new world where now I've been doing some virtual presentations. Luckily, as a coach, you know, I coach people via Zoom. Mm -hmm. And it was cool to actually transition very easily on that side of things. The the speaking work via Zoom is a little bit different. I'm yeah, I can imagine. The, yeah, yeah, I'm still figuring out the art form of that there. Mm -hmm. But there, luckily, there are some clients that, that have been willing to try it out and pay for me to come on Zoom and, and speak to them. I, I mean, that's really incredible that you're doing something that's so like hands on and rewarding and you're like giving back to your own community where you came back, where you came from as well. So I think that's really inspiring. Yeah. Cause folks, you know, there's a lot of people that they want to, they want to make it, you know, and then mm -hmm. leave where they're from and never come back. And I'm all for sort of like spreading and, and moving into uncharted, uh, uncharted territory and new horizons. But for me, because Chicago has so many needs, like I never wanted to be the type of person who would leave and just leave my my old world behind, mm -hmm. um, especially knowing that I experienced what I experienced growing up where I was just hungry for some sort of leadership. I was like, I got to make sure I stay connected to, to my roots, to where I'm from. And, I, you know, I do a little bit of writing, too. So there's a TV show that I have written that I'm trying to get sold right now. And it's based in Chicago. I think Chicago is the best city in the world and I refuse to leave it behind. <laughs> That's the moral of the story right there. <laughs> well, now we have to go, Rithu. We have to go travel there. I've you never been there. Go. <clears throat> yeah, if you haven't well, been there. As long as Johan takes us there, that's all that matters. Let's do it. <laughs> Done deal. <laughs> I hear tickets are really cheap right now. So. <laughs> yeah, so I think this sort of rolls into the first question that I had, and maybe you sort of answered it as well, but, you know, as we know, you're a man of many talents, you're a motivational speaker, you host coaching and group workshops for personal developments for huge companies and organizations. Was this always the path that you wanted to take in life or did it come to you more naturally? How did you like begin your profession and career in this field? Yeah, well, not at all. This is not what I, this is not what I dreamt up. When I was a kid, I remember my, like my six-year-old, I feel like most of us have like our six-year-old dream. Yeah. You know, and then that trend. I so for whatever reason, when I was six years old, I wanted to be a scientist who owned an island and performed experiments and had my own like private laboratory on an island. I don't know where I got this idea from, <laughs> but that was like my first dream. <laughs> I wanted to like heal the world from this island and have like create inventions and you know have this laboratory where there was like blue and green liquids in the little bottles. <laughs> yeah, conical flasks and all. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah, like, yeah, my flasks. And I, I don't know if there, because I feel like Dexter was a cartoon that came way after that. Um, but I don't know how I came up with that specific vision. So that was my, my kindergarten vision. And then I picked up basketball when I was 10 years old. And I grew up in the Michael Jordan era in Chicago. And I wanted to be like Mike. I wanted to be a professional basketball player. That didn't work out, even though I was a, I was a really good basketball player. Um, actually, I made a, a, a really dumb choice to listen to my academic counselor when I was a senior in high school. And I had a, a letter to play basketball at the University of Chicago. Mm -hmm. They wanted me to come play. I was really excited about it. I took it to my academic counselor. 
to really get my next steps. And she read it. She looked at me and she said, you're not smart enough to make it here. So that discouraged me big time mm -hmm. as a 17-year-old kid. Uh, I decided not to go there. I was, I was so discouraged that you know, it, it caused me to really shrink what I thought I was capable of. I went to another school called Northeastern um, Illinois University, and I decided my first year, I'm, I'm just going to focus on academics. And I actually made the honor roll my first year there. And I was like, next year, I'm going to pick up basketball. And then that school dropped all athletics my, my second year. And at that time, wow. I didn't have the mindset that I have now. I didn't have the tools that I have now as an adult. Mm -hmm. And I, I use this cliche of like, well, maybe it's not meant to be realizing later on in life that sometimes you have to fight for what's meant to be. We're not just beholden to the stars, but, mm -hmm. you know, you need to push for the things that you really want and overcome obstacles. But my younger self didn't realize that, which I think part of it was like almost like a blessing in disguise, because my senior year of college um, is when I picked up speaking. So I was in I was in college studying communications, actually. Um, because I wanted to work for ESPN. And I was like, I need to be around basketball because I love basketball so much. It's like, I want to be around basketball. I want to like, you know, be an analyst or commentator or something like that. And uh, that's why I was studying communications. And then once speaking came about, where I had an opportunity to speak in a classroom, I was already, you know, pretty comfortable in front of a crowd, pretty comfortable with my words. And I, I remember my, the first the first time that I spoke, it was a... a, a a group of eighth graders and it was 15 eighth graders mm -hmm. and I was so afraid of them. <laughs> they, they, my, you know, I felt like they were wolves just looking into my eyes, ready to devour me. And, um, at the end of the class though, like I really, I just loved it. And I got great feedback. The kids came up to me. They're just like, Oh man, we love the way you told this story and that story. And I did that for four years. And then I had an opportunity to, to do an article, they, they interviewed me because at the time I was actually um, waiting until marriage to have sex. And that was like, why would anybody want to do that? So here I was, uh, a 25 year old guy talking about waiting, then, you know, I'm waiting until marriage to have sex. And then I ended up doing this article. At the time, mm -hmm. the, the 40 year old virgin was about to come out. I don't know if you remember that more. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that, that's yeah, so that's what, <laughs> yeah. So that's what yeah. they were like interviewing people like who in the world would want to wait until marriage to have sex? So they interviewed me because I was 25 and I guess I didn't look like a troll. And so like, they're, they're like, why, why are you doing this? Like, you have, you know, anybody who can have sex should have sex. So uh, I told my story and I ended up being on the front cover and they used one of my modeling pictures. Uh, so it said, so it said, it said, I'm a virgin. And it had my, and it had my picture, like one of my modeling poses. And, oh, and then, no. yeah, it was crazy. And, and so like I was in L.A. actually doing an internship at the time. Mm -hmm. And I woke up to like hundreds of text messages. Oh my god! Like yo, like sending me pictures of it and everything. Uh, <laughs> and and then maybe like four or five days later, the Tyra Banks show called me. Seriously? No. Yeah. And so they're like, "Hey, we saw your article, mm -hmm. and we want to interview you on the show." So I'm like, you know, my first instinct actually was like, "I don't know, I'm afraid," because <laughs> I'm like, "What if <laughs> what if I mess up on the Tyra Banks show? What if I look like yeah. an idiot?" Because uh, they said they were doing a show called Sex Trends, and they were interested in in this angle of like doing a whole portion on people who are waiting. So I decided to do it. Um, went on, did my first episode, and then they asked me to come back for a second episode. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the next episode was called Tyra Plays Cupid. So Tyra wanted to hook me up on a date. 
which is, <laughs> which is really interesting in and of itself. That's a whole nother long story. I need to deep dive need- YouTube like right after the call. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute. You didn't even know all this stuff, huh? I thought you guys no, did I didn't. research. <laughs> this deserves like a second episode, I feel. Like we need to know this. <laughs> this is how you know the interview is going well, right? Um, (laughs) (laughs) So after I did my second episode, there was a company in Chicago that were like, oh, you've had some great media opportunities. We'd Mm -hmm. love for you to come and speak at our conference. So I spoke at a conference of of about 300 people, teachers and administrators from all over. And then there was somebody from New Mexico there that said, hey, why don't you come to New Mexico and do what you did here in New Mexico? So this is the first time, you know, I got paid to fly to another city to do like a presentation. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, great, let's do it. So I flew, I flew to New Mexico and gave a talk there. And then somebody who's like, hey, I'm, I'm a supervisor of this program. We serve all the local high schools and middle schools. Can you come speak to all our kids one week? We, we want to do like a tour of every school in the area. And the area was Las, Las Cruces, Mexico, New Mexico. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is pretty amazing. So, you know, about two weeks after that, They flew me back out to New Mexico and I did a week long tour. And I remember my last school, it was 1500 students from a high school. Yeah. And literally like scary than the that was more. Well, that's the thing is like (laughs) it went from 15 to 1500 and I was literally in the middle of a gym and the whole gym was like packed around. Oh, wow. And I remember like just feeling like I was ready, you know, like Mm -hmm. this is. I, I didn't have, even though I had those, I had those healthy nerves, but I didn't feel like intimidated. And I remember, you know, just speaking and there was somebody who came up to me afterwards and she was like, I was at the program that you did two weeks ago over here in New Mexico. And I just want to say that, you know, the story that you told, it really changed my life. It gave me some new perspective and helped me make some decisions that I wanted to make in my life. So thank you. And she didn't even go to the school. Wow. She had wow. She had come to the school to say thank you. And that's when I really learned. I was like, man, you know what? this is what I, w- I want to give my life to. Like, how do I spend my whole life using my words, using my story mm-hmm. to impact people, to help them find their own story and to make the world a better place? That's incredible. That's, so That's really powerful. Thank you. Was there a singular moment or a person that drove you forward to into becoming, I know, a public speaker or a life coach? Well, so I would say, yeah. So what I the brand of coaching that I do is executive coaching. So primarily... Mm-hmm. You know, we work with uh, companies. Actually, I'm working with the Rockefeller Group right now, okay. um, as well as Green Dot Schools, uh, working with their leadership team. Uh, there's a CEO that I'm working with from a company called Equal Sign. They do a lot of inclusion and diversity work. And then, you know, fill in the blank of different entrepreneurs and business owners, which is different than life coaching and not to not to knock life coaching, but it's just a different mm-hmm. brand and style of coaching that we do. And I would say, so you've heard you know, from the speaking side of it, kind of what got me started from the coaching side of things. I have a friend, he's the CEO of the firm that I'm a part of. And the firm is called Novus Global. His name is Jason Jaggard. He's actually one in like the top tier of coaches worldwide. He he makes about, you know, $600,000 a year coaching. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, He he, he charges $3,000 an hour to coach people. That's crazy. I did not know that. Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. So he works with millionaires and billionaires, you know, CEOs of these top tier companies. And he had been recruiting me for a while. And I, the thing is, you know, he and I had been friends for about 15 years. Mm-hmm. And I honestly, he, he started this company six years ago. He'd been recruiting me for about four years. 
And I just didn't know what he did. <laughs> I was like, what the heck is coaching? You know, it's mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't fully understand what this coaching thing means. And it, it was always so mysterious with the way that he described it. And I just didn't, I couldn't grasp it. And I was like, why do I need to coach? I feel like I'm doing fine, you know? Yeah. And, and so he kept, he kept pushing, pushing. And, and eventually um, two years ago is when I had a, another conversation with his sister as well, who's a part of the firm. And I decided to jump in and kind of like test the waters. I did a, a month of working with the coach and it was just revolutionary for me. So I decided to jump in the program. The program was a nine month program where you're like learning and coaching people at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it was just a great supplement or great partner, I should say, for my work as a speaker, because, you know, as a speaker, it's like I'm, I'm communicating my ideas and like telling stories and entertaining and inspiring and motivating. And as a coach, I'm really I'm asking questions and I'm holding space for people so that they can find their own power. And that's why I say it's like it's a perfect partner to the work that I do, because it's all leadership. It's all personal development but they're different pathways to helping people discover and find their best self. But were there any, you know, sort of challenges that you encountered while you were building your career in this path? Oh my goodness. I mean, I feel like the list of, you know, for, for any field where you want to make a difference, there's going to be tons of challenges. I would say, you know, the first one that I'd like to talk about is I didn't, I didn't make money early on and the temptation, especially, so I would say this, you know, being the son of an immigrant, my father's from Iran. The, the first challenge was getting my father to accept what I do, you know, because for him, he's like, what, what is this? I don't understand. You know, like <laughs> you need to start the business, you know, you, you know, and for him that the first battle, I think, for, between he and I was because he didn't want me to struggle the way that he struggled. You know, my father never graduated from high school. He came to America from Iran and actually he was a professional soccer player in Iran. And when he moved over here, he was like, well, I have a son now. And, and, you know, soccer wasn't, it's not like you could just pick up a career in soccer in America. So he was like, I got to work whatever job I can. And that was the mentality that I had. He was just a hardworking guy. So he worked his butt off. And then that is, the, you know, for most immigrant parents, they're like, go to college, go to college. You got to go to school. So I went to college mm-hmm. and then I got my degree. And then once I was like, I'm speaking. And he's like, is that a career? Is that <laughs> like, what, like, how much money do you make? Like, that's always the first question. Like, how much money yeah. is this thing mm-hmm. going to make? And, and, you know, does it have a reputation behind it? Right. And so because he didn't understand it. And, and at the time, early on, I wasn't making that much money. He was like, no, do something more lucrative. And he and I butt heads a lot. So that was like the, the biggest obstacle early on. And I would say that, you know, I let him know. I said, Dad, I'm going to pursue meaning first and not money. And... um you know, he eventually accepted it because success came along a little bit later, but it wasn't necessarily on his timeline Mm -hmm. because he went from like shaking his fist and like not liking it to bragging about me because then I was on TV and then I'm traveling the world. You know, it was funny because he would show people uh, my website on his phone, which I feel (laughs) like a super like, you know, immigrant thing to do to be like, look, my son, this is him, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, dad, nobody cares about the website. Like nobody, <laughs> but for some reason that was a big, that was a big thing uh, for him. So that was, I would say that, that was the, the, the biggest obstacle early on was overcoming the perception of what my father thought I should do. And then, you know, then there's obstacles that, that come within me where there's, there were moments where because I wanted to make more money and I, and I wasn't where I was like, maybe I should do something else. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you get older. Now I'm 41 years old, right? So there were, you know, early 30s where I'm like, oh, I'm not making X amount of dollars and I want a certain quality of life. And then you go back and forth because you're like, well, if, if I hit this age and I'm not making X amount of dollars, then maybe I should throw in the towel. But I just kept coming back to, I just love, I just love it so much. You know, I just, mm-hmm. I love what I do. And that's why I would say now that I've partnered what I do with, with more and more coaching, that's where my income has started to grow immensely, as well as now being in Hollywood, I'm, I'm doing some writing as well. And, and there's a big hope of hit, you know, creating a million dollar deal there. And what are some takeaways for those who strive to, you know, become a public speaker or someone who wants to build their career in the things that you do? I would say just don't do it. Don't do it at all. Just stay away. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I would say first and foremost for me, it's finding the way to tell your story Mm -hmm. because that's really what I get paid to do. I get I get paid to tell stories. And most people actually they want to craft a story based on what they think they should talk about. Right. Instead of figuring out. And and here's the thing, too. It's like for my, when it comes to my story, I wouldn't say that, you know, it's the most tragic story in the world. So cert, certainly I've had some obstacles that I've had to overcome. But there's some people that believe, well, if I'm going to tell a story, I have to like go through something like really crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, because some people in the public speaking world, everything from, you know, there's there's a guy that I forget his name, but he like lost his whole family to a drunk driver. Wow. And, you know, so he has this heartbreaking story. You know, there's the people, there's the, I forget, I, I think his name is Nick Vujicic. And he was born um, without, like, legs and arms. Oh, my gosh. So sorry to interject, but he came yeah. and spoke at my high school. Yeah. Like, wow. when I was, when I was, yeah, when I was in, like, 10th, 10th or 11th grade, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he came no and spoke at our high school. Yeah. And that's, and that's what I think is like most people believe it's like you have to have these stories that are like beyond extraordinary, mm-hmm. you know, that, you know, whether it be tragedy or, you you know, certain obstacles from birth that you had to overcome. And that's not necessarily the case. It's just you need to learn how to tell your story in a unique way. And, and actually, I believe whether you're a speaker or a social worker or a teacher, you know, or a podcast host, fill in the blank, I think it's an ability, it's a talent that all of us should learn how to, to, to perfect because storytelling is really what shapes culture. Storytelling is a big part of us discovering our values and our identity. So the better we can get at that, I think not just if you want to be a speaker, it's going to help you thrive in whatever field you pursue. Um, so, so that would be my main you know, thing to, to really chase after storytelling uh, and, and, to, and to be patient with yourself. Mm-hmm. because there is going to be pressure. You have pressure from this outside world to do it on a certain timeline, to do it a certain way, mm-hmm. but find your unique way in your own timing. Usually when it comes from an anxiety standpoint, it's because people are A, not very well prepared. Like if, if you know what you're saying, if you know why you're saying it, usually that does away with a lot of anxiety. Um, so that's one side from an anxiety standpoint. Another part is sometimes people who are, experiencing that anxiety, they want to control the outcome. So they're like, I got to make sure I hit a home run. You know, Mm -hmm. I got to make sure everybody, I want people to applause. I want people to accept me. I want, and so they're anxious because there's so much uncertainty. You don't know how people are going to respond. So I would say release your expectation of how people are going to respond and, and click into a gear where you're like, 
I'm going to tell my story from an honest, real place. I'm going to be a human being in front of this crowd. So what happens, when I, especially when I work with people who are first time communicators, they fall into this mode of like, what am I supposed to say? Mm-hmm. And then they'll study all these speeches and then they're like, it's like, I got 15 points. And, you know, it's like they come across as robotic. What I like to pride myself on, and this is part of whenever I help people teach, I'm like, just be a real human, be a real person, be honest, you know, tell the truth, talk to people about how you got it wrong, talk to people about the things that, and these are some of the questions that you had, you know, asked me, what did you overcome? Mm -hmm. Because I think even, I think that's a part of it, you know, as you're talking about, you feel safe right now, all we've been doing is being real people who are sharing stories, asking questions, who are interested in one another, interested in what our background is. We know that all of us have, you know, tons of stuff that we've been through. We're excited also about the things that we're up to right now and mm-hmm. about where we're going in the future. And and notice, even as I share that with you guys, are you guys feeling anxious? No, not at no? all. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm not either, right? Because I'm here mm-hmm. in this moment. I'm telling the truth and I'm connecting to you guys. And I would say it sounds simple, but if you're a first time communicator, do that. And I guarantee you, at the very least, you'll have fun. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Right. Because because that's all you can control. Mm-hmm. Is can, do you have, go up there and have a good time? Because and here's the thing is, if you go up there and have a good time, guarantee people are going to have a good time. What was the most fulfilling part about what you do? I know that you mentioned before that you work with children back home in Chicago, and that has been, you know, really empowering and inspiring for others just because you, you know, you're giving back to your community. So Hmm. what's the most fulfilling part about what you do? You know, know what I'm going to actually share. Uh, So I got this text message Mm -hmm. the other day. And so I would say it's messages like these. So when COVID first hit, I, I did some some pro bono coaching because it was I was like, man, I want to help people who are um, essential workers, you know, people who are maybe nurses, doctors, folks who who really need some sort of support because they're the ones being some you know, support for other people. Yeah. And I did three free sessions with a young lady in Nashville at the time. And last week she sent me this message. Hola, I, I hope you're doing well and staying healthy. I needed to say thank you again for the coaching for COVID projects that, that I have since applied to all areas of my life. You challenged me to really take time to think about what I want and to dream again. I listed it all out, made a detailed plan, plan for what I needed to do to take the next steps. And then I took the next steps and then the next steps. Fast forward to me moving to Florida in two weeks for an exciting new job opportunity. I'll be on the opening team for a new urgent care clinic. It's the exact step I needed for my career comes with a significant raise and leaves plenty of opportunity for growth. All the boxes I want to check for this next step. Most importantly, I'm back in urgent care, which I love, and where I can really help people suffering medically from this pandemic. It's humbling, it's exciting, and it's all the things. Ha ha. Thank you for the inspiration and for the push I needed. Much love, friend. And I get messages like this all the time with, you know, from my spe- speaking work and from the coaching work that I do. And sometimes it's right when I need it, you know, because yeah. it is it, it uh, it's fulfilling work. And at times um, you f- I feel like the, the, the burdens of the world sometimes are on my shoulders, you know, 
Um, so it gives me the fuel knowing that I'm making a difference, that I'm actually impacting people and helping them find their own sweet spots in life. And so with all these, I wouldn't say clients, but with these people that you work with so closely, um, are they all from North America or, you know, does it take you internationally? Yeah, actually I have, um, I got a couple clients in Calgary right now. I have one in Toronto. I've worked with people in uh, Dubai, in London. Um, I've done speaking work in mm -hmm. London, in Belgium, in the Philippines, in Taiwan. Wow. wow. Yeah, so I've been very fortunate. Yeah, I'm, the cool thing with the coaching too is like I could just hop on Zoom and mm -hmm. you could be anywhere. So the yeah. client that I was working with in Dubai, it was interesting because it would be my morning and her night when we were, you know, working yeah. together. So as long as you can get the time to sync, you can work with anybody anywhere in the world. Yeah, that's exactly like how I try to FaceTime uh, with my parents. It's just trying to fit that scheduling in with Singapore. So it's always tricky, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's the time difference? Uh, 15 hours ahead. Oh, yeah. They're in the future. Yeah. So they give you all the winning lottery tickets. Huh? <laughs> that's what I like to think. <laughs> I wish it worked that way. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> Speaking of the yeah. future, actually, um, are you working on any new projects that you want to talk about? Plug, plug, plug. Yeah. So uh, me and uh, a lovely young lady named Ritu, we're working on uh, a project called From the Future with Love. And uh, essentially... It's a love story, a love letter from the world that all of us want to see. Mm -hmm. So that's like a world that doesn't have homelessness, a world where there is social justice, where the racial inequalities have been cleaned up. Um, I mean, you name it, where there's no shame, there's no cancel culture. And what I do as a coach is I first help people get clear with what's the future that they want to see. So for some folks, it may be like a monetary thing, right? It's like, oh, I want to make my first... Um, six-figure year when it comes to income. I want to. I want to write my first book. Um, I want to. I want to fix my business because we've been, you know, hemorrhaging money for two years. Yeah. And and I first help them get clear with what their vision of the future is, mm -hmm. and then we reverse engineer things. So I help people create the future from their future. And I said, well, what if we were to do that from a society standpoint, like culturally? What if we were to look at the world and say, what are the things that we want to see change? What are the things that we want to fix? How do we mm -hmm. want to grow as a, as a world? So let's first envision that future and then let's figure out what we need to do now to make that vision or that future a reality. So I invite people on the show who are time travelers and they've come from this future reality where all these things already exist. Uh, you know, uh, actually one of our first episodes is like, well, so let's imagine a world where the police no longer exist. What does that mm -hmm. world look like? So we get to paint that picture. Another episode actually I just recorded a couple of days ago was a world where there is no cancel culture. What does that world look like? How did we get there? Um, there's another episode that I'm planning actually with Jason, and we're going to talk about a noble future. What does a future look like where the world that we live in is full of nobility? Because I think that's one of the, like, how many people do you know that you interact with talk about being noble? Not many. Not at all. Not many, <laughs> Not many at all. Zero. Yeah. You know? So, so what if we actually lived in a world where people valued that and they constructed their their lives around nobility? I'm ha I'm actually having a, a conversation with one of my best friends too about what would a future look like where there was no shame because we were living yeah a totally like healthy and whole and healed life. You know, we had mm -hmm. really healthy ways of dealing with the things that we don't get quote unquote right, and and it's part of it is rooted in he and I story. So. Um, 
for him, you know, he's he's gay and he's lived in a world that has always told him your your lifestyle or like who you are is wrong. And mm -hmm. so he's battled with the shame of that. And I wanted to that's why I wanted to have that conversation with him, because even for he and I's friendship, where some people would look at, you know, he and I be like, well, you know, you guys are not supposed to be friends. And there's all this you know, stereotypes because I come from uh, a Christian background and there's all kinds of BS that come from the Christian world. <laughs> That where you know what I mean. So so, you know, a big part of actually why I wanted to be friends too is like, it seems like the Christian world loves to judge and shame folks that are gay, and and I don't think that's an actual, a healthy outworking of who Jesus was and what he talked about. And he and I like we grew so much just discovering what it meant to truly be friends, to be brothers, and to to extract shame from the narrative and to really inject it with love and belonging, uh, and true community. And so for this platform that you're using to to vocalize all these different important things that we need to learn in, in the future or even now, do you bring on close friends or do you bring on like other guests as well? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a combination of. So the first uh, Lamika Castillo, actually, she was a friend. I think she's a friend of Matthew's, right? She is a friend of Matthew's. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so she's a friend of one of our other producers, Matthew Jones. And um, she's also a professor. She's been very active in the Black Lives Matter movement. So I didn't I didn't know her until we did the show. Yeah. Um, the third episode is a good friend of mine who's a professor at Arizona State University. Mm -hmm. uh, and the the fourth or fifth episode, we'll see which one comes first. But one of them, like I was saying, is the CEO of Novus Global. He's he's a, a coach as well. And then the other one is just he's a, one of my best friends in the world. So it is a combination of people that I know, you know, I'm just meeting mm -hmm. uh, people who I really respect, who are authorities in the field. And then, you know, we've been talking about who are dream guests that we would love to have on because we want to grow to a level where people are dying to be on the show yeah. because they, they want to help really paint this picture of a beautiful future that we could always create. Um, and and this always it's always fascinated me to just think about what picture can we create and what is it going to take? To bring that picture to life, um, I've always loved the, the the speech of you know Dr. King. I think all of us overuse it a little bit, maybe too much, but it's always been fascinating to me to to see how this simple speech, where he just talks about a dream, you know, and he's painting a picture of a world that doesn't exist yet, how it inspires so many of us year after year after mm -hmm. year after year. Like there's just something about these words because we know, in terms of the human spirit, we lean forward when we start to see something that we've never seen before, but we know we want that to exist. And until we get there, we get to keep pushing forward and creating and marching, you know, and striving. Who would be some of your dream guests that you would have on the show? Oh my goodness. I mean, so many folks, I think of, we've talked about Ava DuVernay. I love her storytelling. I would love to have, you know, Cornell West on the show. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with his, his work, but phenomenal thinker i'd love to have bill gates on the show i think there's a, for a number of reasons that's some big dreams Joe. big dreams let's go we're gonna we got to dream real big let's see because you know i would love to talk i'm to like him sitting about... here sweating in my seat <laughs> it's like let's make it happen right now you know the list to me is endless in terms of the people and you know because i even start thinking about you know part of me was like if we were to start doing the game of like who would be on the show like dead or alive Mm -hmm. <laughs> we, have, we have time travelers, you know, we could do all kinds of stuff and, yeah. and really go back into the past and talk to people too about the future. Um, but yeah, those, those are some names. And I, and I could think about, you know, a list of, of names. Um, 
both in the realm of politics and filmmaking and art of people that I think are bringing about this new world. You know, we talk about AOC. I think she's she's a phenomenal leader woman. I would thinker. love to have AOC on the right? show. Like, <laughs> it, would, it would be it would be so next level. Yeah. You know, to have. I mean, right, working on it. Yeah, working on it. I mean. Yeah, I'm not even, there's a part of me that's like, would we want to have some controversial people like a Kanye West on the show just to oh, take away? Because no. <laughs> imagine what that what that would do, you know? Very uh, That man has some big dreams. <laughs> right? It's Very like interesting having, ones. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I'm the type of person who can come up with a list of names and there's folks that I would really love to have really meaningful conversations with. There's a, there's a, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the work of Candace Owens, but I'm not a fan of her. Oh, I, I am so not a fan of her. Yeah, I'm not a fan of her, but a part of me is like, I would love to actually sit across from her because I really value having conversations with people who you don't agree with mm-hmm. and, and figuring out like, well, how can we actually break bread? Where can we connect? And is there room for us shaping the way that we think? Because I think we live in this world right now where you, we only connect with people who are like us, mm. especially when it comes to, I would say, the way that we think, right? Our intellectualism is is geared around, if you think like me, I'll hang out with you. If you don't think like me, I'm going to judge the way that you think. I'm going to judge the, your beliefs. I'm going to judge your political background, whatever it is. And I think we need more and more of people who sit at the same table, actually have healthy discourse so that... And this is the thing that I, that's why, this is why I would want to do it, especially with Candace Owens. I'm like, is there a way for us to actually grow from this conversation? Because I think too much of what we experience is people who want to debate and go back and forth, but then people don't leave change. Mm-hmm. So I would love to create a show where it's like, hey, the only reason this future is going to be created is if we, if we have really meaningful conversations like this. Right now right now with people who don't agree and we can actually shift because of one conversation and like learn from it too and learn from yeah. it yeah and that's what i do in the coaching work is i really have powerful conversations with people i ask them questions that kind of disrupt their narratives mm-hmm. and they discover new parts of themselves they discover more and more of what they're capable of and then they move forward into a new future for themselves mm-hmm. a bit of an anecdote but um ruthu you actually went to a ben shapiro <laughs> Yes. Um, Yeah. So I, yeah, I told this story to, I told this story to Johan and like everyone when we were on a group call like a while back, but Mm -hmm. for all of the listeners that haven't heard the story, this is a treat. So actually (laughs) tune in right now. So, um, my, so my friends and I, uh, we went to UBC and it's something called the UBC free speech club. And basically they host all of these speakers to come to the campus and talk about different things specifically regarding free speech and being able to say what you want whenever you want. And for people that don't, or for people that don't know, uh, Ben Shapiro is a very right wing political pundit. He is an advocate for free speech. Um, he has a fair amount of controversial opinions, which mm-hmm. uh, are very, very uh regarded by the right wing. So the people that are wearing the mega hats that are doing all of that. And so I decided to go because I, I studied anthropology at UBC, like the whole point of anthropology is to like really dissect culture and learn about where people are coming from, why they think the way that they do, how that affects them as a society, as a group of people and their Mm -hmm. history as a group of people. And so 
you know, I always want to see what other people are thinking. So I got a ticket to the show. Um, me and three of my other friends, we went and it happened to land on Halloween. And so I, <laughs> so I wore a costume to work because everyone has to wear costumes to work. Duh. Like Obviously. you have to, right? <laughs> um, and so I've been wearing the same costume every year for the last two going on three years now. I have not and, noticed. Uh, no, 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 no. Hold on. It's it, I have like so many different Halloween costumes, but the one that I wear to work specifically is the same uh, costume that I wear every got time. It. And so I went, they said, oh, you're going to get a prize if you like wear your costume. And I was like, oh, great. Like, I don't have to go home and change. I can just go straight to the event. So I go there, literally no one. And I mean, there like maybe two people in that entire auditorium is wearing Halloween costumes. There are people from all over, just like, I want to say from Portland up, like that have come mm-hmm. to hear Ben Shapiro oh, wow. speak. Um, I don't really know how often he does speaking engagements or what that looks like, but he, <laughs> I guess it was like a rare monumental moment for all of those people. And there were people on UBC campus wearing MAGA hats, which is like crazy to think about because we're just very anti everything Ben Shapiro is about. Yeah. And I, my costume, I didn't think I was making a political statement, but everyone thought that I was making a political statement, but I was dressed up as the devil and you will not believe how many like eye daggers I got just from people just like staring me down, just being like, (laughs) what are you doing here? And everyone, everyone was like, all of my friends were like, I can't believe you wore that because they were supposed to wear costumes and they didn't wear costumes. And I was like, okay, cool. And then, and then I go in and the free speech uh, people that like give give people prizes, which was a stupid prize. It was a box of candy. Like, what am I going to do with that? Eat, um, it. <laughs> eat it. But it had Ben Shapiro's face on it. Oh. <laughs> I go in and they're like, oh, what a great costume. What a great statement to make. And I'm like, oh, wait, was this actually making a statement? I wasn't even thinking about that at all. So, the, yeah. The best accidental political statement <laughs> of all time. No <laughs> kidding. Yeah, it was, it was really interesting to see what, what they were thinking, like what their, mm. their mindset was and just like going into that and being completely opposed to what they were thinking and just like sitting with those feelings and trying to better understand what their rationale is as a group of people with those political ideologies, right? So it's definitely a very memorable moment for more than more than one reason. That's a great story. I told it recently to a few friends. I hope you don't Wait, mind. <laughs> who did you tell? Um, <laughs> it's a great story. Um, I think I told it to Sonia and Grace over the weekend. Oh, that's so funny. It's a nice little <laughs> cocktail happy hour story too. <laughs> to talk about that's so funny I know that you have like a really impressive resume of organizations and companies and businesses that you've worked alongside with like Warner Brothers the Today Show Fox TEDx um how did you begin working with them and what was that experience like well I would say uh TED was a a dream for me that it kind of I read a book actually the way that I would say this got started is I read a book called Up From Slavery um, by Booker T. Washington and it's one of those books that really changed my life. And he tells a story of a speech that he gave that he he was tempted to just kind of like brush to the side. And it was like a six minute talk or like a 10 minute talk, something like that. And he had to travel afar 
uh, far distance to go give the talk. And what he says was that specific talk was instrumental in him starting Tuskegee University and really some of the impact that he was able to make socially. But it was this talk that he was tempted to like, just be like, ah, it's not worth my time. So I started to examine for myself, like what are the talks that I judge as not worthy of my time? And then I wanted to say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start to say yes more often than not to these types of talks because you never know where it leads you. You never know what doors it opens. So there was actually this church in San Diego. It was like a you know small paying gig. And I think it was about like 300 people. And my friend was supposed to speak there, but then he was like, hey, I have like a, a scheduling conflict. Why don't you come speak? Hmm. So again, I had this, you know, I just read the book and I was like, you know what? Okay, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. And after I gave my talk, this lady came up to me afterwards and she was just like, oh my gosh, I love, I love everything you had to say. Um, my friend puts together uh, TEDx talks and I think you'd be perfect for it. And I was like, what? Definitely. Um, I would love, I would love to do that. So she was like, cool, I'll connect you and you guys could take it from there. And I, they basically hit me up <clears throat> and they were like, what would, what would be some like ideas that you would talk about? Uh, so I pitched them some ideas. The one that they said yes to was this idea of voices. And, and, you know, we live in a world where there are voices that are trying to help us and voices that are trying to hinder us. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to give a talk rooted around like, what if we built our life around that revolves around the voices that are actually trying to help us and propel our life forward. So that was the one that they said yes to. And that's the one that Ritu said that she just saw for the first time the other day. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, I was just honored to give it and to be on that stage. And it was interesting because, you know, they give you a certain amount of time and then they have like the timer right in front. And they had given me 12 minutes, I remember. And I would say prior to that, I would always pride myself on, you know, I just like I talk and whatever comes out and, you know, I like to talk from the heart. And mm-hmm. I've never, I've never really scripted. But for this one, they were like, "You need to be scripted." So they, they basically asked me to send the script first, and then they had me do like a taped talk, okay. and then email, email it to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they were like, "Okay, you got twelve minutes." So then, when you're sitting there, and I've done all this stuff, and then I have like twelve, the, 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 the clock just like ticking in front of me, and I remember I said my last word, and then I just got up. And I walked off and the lady who works there and I had like stopped paying attention actually to the clock. <laughs> and the lady, she's like, she's like, when you finished, I thought you were joking because literally the clock hit 12 and you got up and walked off. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> it just worked out. I guess I was so, you know, I practiced it so many times for you guys yeah. that that's the way it worked out. But I would say that's one of the ones that stands out for me, you know, working uh, with Ted and, mm. um, you know, even now working, doing some work with the Rockefeller group, you know, when you first start working with these groups that are, and these companies that have these big names attached to it, you're tempted to be intimidated by the name. Right. And, I, and I think what I've realized is when I'm more connected to who I am, I'm not allowing the reputation of the person or the company to shrink who I am. And so I'm able to show up and perform or serve them with all my power and, and, and I say power because I think we even shrink, shrink from that word usage. I think we shrink from utilizing the power that we have as human beings because we're afraid of misusing power. Mm-hmm. But if we trust, I think, our core and, and where we're coming from and why, why, we're the, why we're there to do work, we can actually be proud of the power that we bring into the room. And um, I think younger versions of me 
would have been intimidated by, well, who are these people and what are they about? And, you know, what's their reputation? And now the older version of me just owns who I am. I know that there are people who don't know what they're doing, (laughs) just like, just like we all do. Actually, I did, um, yesterday, uh, I did some work with CATA, the California, basically student, uh, association. There's all kinds of administrators, principals, advisors, teachers, and, and really they're trying to figure out like, how the heck do we shape culture right now and create community mm-hmm. in this time? And, you know, a lot of them are asking questions because they're like, oh, I'm just afraid of this. And I don't know if this happens. And what are we going to do if kids do that? I just, I paused at one point. And I was like, hey guys, none of us know what we're doing. Yeah. Like, I'm like, it's a pandemic that, you know, none of us have ever been through something like this. So like, give yourself a break mm-hmm. and, and just know that we're learning yeah. and we're growing. You know, so I think for me, it's knowing that allowing myself to at times walk forward, understanding that every all of us are going through the same stuff. And sometimes we allow somebody's title or their resume to get in the way of actually showing up with with our full force. Um, That's actually kind of like a quick, great little segue. But like, you know, people have dreams, people have goals and aspirations. You spend a lot of time in your executive coaching, like helping with leadership stuff, but I'm assuming you also help with people hitting their goals. What are some common things or themes that you see with people that you're coaching and like with their goals and not being able to hit them? Well, I would say, you know, in terms of the things that commonly get in people's way, the biggest thing is fear. There's fear of making the wrong choice. You know, there's fear of failure. There's fear of looking bad. Uh, and there's just there's just so much fear that we live from, and all of it is rooted in these narratives that we've been given by the culture that we live in, by society, by the world, about what life is supposed to look like, you know, what success looks like. So I would say the simplified version is helping people move from fear to a place of love, and to start create their you know start creating their vision and their life from a place that is truly rooted in love. Now outside of that, you know. Because I think, so this is why I wanted to simplify it with love and fear, because I think at all times for us as human beings, we are living either from a place of love for ourselves and for the world and for others, mm-hmm. or from a place of fear of ourself, of the world and of others. So that's the simplified, I think, version of like, yeah. I help people get into contact with where are you living from? Yeah. What's holding you back? Because what people start to do is like, for example, they shame out. So if like they don't hit a goal, so some people don't want to dream big because if they don't hit that goal, they think they're a failure and then they shame out, mm-hmm. which again is rooted in fear, right? So some people, the reason why they can't get the results that they want. So for example, you know, I was working with a guy, he's writing uh, about five scripts and that was his goal. I want to write five scripts in a matter of six months. And, you know, he wanted to work for a TV show or sell a feature film. And what was fascinating was he would get clogged up by his own, judgment, judgment of his own work, you know, and cynicism and critiquing his stuff. So one of the things that we like to tell people, especially folks who are working in a creative world is, hey, cook up a shitty first draft, right? So help them move away from judging your work to just like, just, it's going to be shitty and just, just put it out there. So that's another really big thing that gets in people's way is the judgment that they have that's just swirling around in them. And you'd be surprised because often that's not just for their work. Sometimes it's judgment for somebody that they're working with. Sometimes it's a boss who's judging all the people that work for him or work under him, you know, quote unquote, yeah. or her. 
And it's helping them move away from judgment for those people and move into a sense of like, well, what if I, well, what if I were to be compassionate with the folks that I lead? Yeah. What if I were to be curious with the people that I lead? So the, the work and from a coaching standpoint that I do is rooted in, in a form of philosophy called ontology, which is the study of being. And so that's the simplified, because obviously we could talk about that. That'll be a whole other episode if you want to yeah. talk about it. <laughs> but it's helping people start to notice their way of being. So right now, even for us on this podcast, we have a natural way of being. Now, if I asked you guys, hey, what's your way of being? How would you describe your way of being right now? You may be like, well, I, I feel at ease or you know, maybe it's like I felt tense. I'm like, will anything go wrong? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. yeah. so we help people pinpoint. Can you notice from moment to moment what's going on inside of you? Can you pinpoint your way of being? Right. So if somebody who says naturally my way of being is shy, their shy way of being will create the results that that way of being will dictate what you do or don't do. And what you do or don't do actually creates the results of your life. But most people don't break it down like that. They're not getting clear with, oh, the way I show up determines the results that I create. Mm -hmm. we, just, we just have a way of being that's like non-conscious. Right. So I help people figure out, okay, what's the way of being that's getting in your way? Now let's replace that. So for some folks, I'm helping them move from a, a way of being that's rooted in scarcity. And then I help them move towards abundance, right? So we could talk about that, the first thing too, right? With fear. And if we're replacing fear... Let's move towards love. What does that look like? Mm -hmm. or, or what it would, it would look like right now if you live from a courageous place or a bold place. Some people are very protected and guarded. And then I say, okay, what would it look like if your way of being was rooted in vulnerability? That would shape what you do. And then that would shape new results for you, right? right. What if it? some people, it's resentment, right? Some people, it's cynicism. So then it's like, okay, how do you how do you live from a hopeful place? And you'd be surprised. It's always this internal posture for life that shapes what people create, that shapes the results that they get. And, and I love helping people kind of like click in to their most powerful way of being. You'd be surprised how many people struggle with shaming out. And people who shame themselves into big results exist left and right. There's people who win Oscars because of shame. I think there's, we have an America president who's shamed himself into presidency, mm. right? Shame is a powerful fuel, but the fruit that it bears isn't healthy. And so we help people move away from the, and Brene Brown talks a lot about this and that's why I love her work, but it's helping people lose that form of fuel for life and choose something way more resourceful and, and something that's way more replenishing, which is the fuel of, of love. I think that's so interesting because, you know, I'm very close to my mom and my mom is always like, you know, the way you hold yourself is how you're perceived in the world and how you project yourself is how you're perceived in the world and how you create those you know, meaningful conversations and meaningful connections with other people. And so like, you know, just moving into a new job at the moment, I noticed that I was very soft-spoken because coming to a new job and meeting new people, I'm a lot more soft-spoken because I don't really know the different energies of the different people that I'm working with just yet. And I'm, I'm not as comfortable, but then, yeah. you know, just remembering that I, I try to make my voice known. I try to like push myself out there and be like, no, if I want people to, perceive me in a certain way uh, to see me as more confident and more vocal and such and responsible and just eager to to learn and to you know to do the work that I that I'm doing right now I just have to sort of project that out there mm -hmm. yeah. yeah and part of what see if I was working with you I'd help you 
get clear first on like, what are the beliefs that you have that cause you to go into a room and be more soft-spoken? Because there are mm-hmm. certain beliefs, right? Because there's probably, there's the outspoken Annika, right? And then there's mm-hmm. the soft-spoken one. And right. it's, you're believing different things about yourself, but you're also believing different things about the people who are in the room that are creating or shaping the soft-spoken version of you versus the outspoken. And so now, once we get clear on that, you can actually choose from moment to moment, which version do you want to be and why, as opposed to just being beholden to like, oh, this is the way that I feel and I'm kind of blind to what's creating me in this moment. We're at an hour and 15. What? Okay, we talk too much, y'all. That's the lesson. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be the one editing this later, so... Yeah. So just to plug in here quickly, when is your new podcast coming out? When should we look out for that? So that's, I was actually going to ask Rita about that. I'm like, it's supposed to be tomorrow, right? Yeah, it is tomorrow. (laughs) Right. It's like, it's good to go. It's good to go. It's like scheduled. It's in there. It's going to be out tomorrow, which is July 15th. But by the time this podcast comes out, it's already out. So yeah. Yeah. We're doing it. Yeah, we're doing it. Where should we listen to the podcast? Uh, I so like Rita knows more than me. I just yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So it's gonna be it's gonna be on all the places that you can listen to Apple, Spotify, and Google Play if need be. Sweet. Hey cool. Johan, do you wanna do you wanna plug your social media for our listeners? Oh yeah. So Johan speaks. I'm really mostly on Instagram. Uh, Johan speaks is my Instagram. I do have a YouTube channel as well, and I and I love creating content on YouTube for whatever reason. I feel like. I'm not You're getting as not much consistent. YouTube love. Yeah, that's what it is, right? It's like I'm not as consistent as I am on Instagram. And it's like I love making videos on YouTube. It's like I still got to crack the code so you can hit me up on YouTube as well, Johan Kavillion. I don't tweet that often, so I feel like I shouldn't even plug my, my Twitter because I'm like every, every once or twice a month, I'll throw something on Twitter. So primarily, it's Johan Speaks on Instagram and then Johan Kavillion on YouTube. Awesome. Awesome. You can uh, follow us on Here to Chet Talk on Instagram and you can listen to all of the cool behind the scenes stuff that we do. And soon, Annika and I will be celebrating our one year anniversary for a podcast. Yeah, Yeah, which is crazy. We were literally just, yeah, literally. We were just talking about this right before you um, came on board. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy how time flies. We did take a six-month hiatus, but we're not going to say that. <laughs> we're, we're not, not going to count that. It. We're no. not going to count that. <laughs> yeah, so it's only half a baby right now. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We're so happy to talk to you and just listen to you. I talk to you all the time, but like you know yeah. what I do. <laughs> yeah, but it's so nice to like finally meet you and to, to get to know you better as well. So this was awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. No, thanks for having me on. It's been, it's been great. I feel like the time flew by, huh? Yeah, it really I did. did.